As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So one of the things that I have been advised to uh, take medicine for is that <laughs> I have I have severe trust issues. Like we've discussed this before. I have a really hard time believing that anyone really likes me and um, <laughs> including you and you know I love you and, I know, and because yeah. you don't love me doesn't make me love you <laughs> less it's just hard for me sometimes uh-huh. and so sometimes that means I'm crazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah a good example of that is uh, just was it yesterday you, mm. were, you were doing laundry and you were emptying out my pants pockets yeah and you found a little note. Yeah. So you know how when the dryer gets post-it notes, they get all crumply and hard mm. to, you know. Right. And so there was this this note, and I was like, oh, shit, what did he leave in his pocket? So I, I was unfolding it, but only certain parts of it were visible, and I could see the word buns. And I was like, motherfucker, what? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was Dear like, Jethro, I really like your buns. And then I was like, oh, that's my handwriting. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and was, I had I had asked uh, for you to pick up hamburger buns. <laughs> yeah, it was a <laughs> it was a grocery list. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. <I'm> so sorry. <laughs> oh no, it's fine. Let's uh, uh yeah. Let's uh, go ahead and start this episode. Get it done because I I have a, a date. With with my mistress. Okay, I know you have a massage afterwards, <laughs> and combining those two ideas oh, in, see, in I, here okay, yeah. isn't healthy for me. All right, the internet is a strange and magical place for sure. Would you not agree? It's hard to believe that the web has been around for over thirty years. Yeah, at least the internet as we know it. The web start was officially made public, I think, in nineteen ninety. Really didn't catch on until a few years later, but but it's been over 30 years. In the early days of the internet, lots of strange opinions and predictions came to light. Many of them couldn't have been more wrong. Yay! I love wrong predictions. 
Let's hear it. And not just like everyday people or, or the layman, if you will, but from leading journalists as well as uh, the, the leaders in the technology of the day, the best and brightest of the time. And I thought it would be fun to take a look at some of them and ridicule them mercilessly. A good example was a Newsweek magazine article that was published in, I think it was February of 1995, regarding, of course, this new thing called the Internet. Mm -hmm. And by the way, when I was reading and looking at some of these videos from that time period, they didn't call it the Internet. It was just Internet. If you surf Internet... Oh, kind of like some people refer to baby as a yeah. whole rather than a singular. Yes. So when changing baby. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's weird, but that's fine. This article was written by, uh, well, he's he's a genius. You've probably seen him in various shows. He's um, an astronomer named Clifford Stoll. See the one with the weird hair? Yes, that's the guy. Okay. Yeah. And the title of his article gives you a good idea of where he stood on the internet at the time. Now, keep in mind, this guy's brilliant. Mm -hmm. The headline was, the internet? Bah. <laughs> let, me, let me read you. <laughs> First of all, bah? Bah. Come on. B-A-H, oh. exclamation point, bah. That makes me think of that guy that you used to work with. Oh, yeah. He would always <laughs> punctuate a statement with the word bah. So it would be like, Hey, it's a beautiful day outside, bar. <laughs> Why though? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, let me read you a few excerpts from this article of 1995. Clifford Stoll wrote about uh, the newly emerging internet. Please do. And again, remember, 95. Quote, visionaries see a future of telecommuting workers, interactive libraries, and multiple classrooms. They speak of electronic town meetings and virtual communities, commerce, and business will shift from offices and malls to networks and modems. And the freedom of digital networks will make the government more democratic. Baloney. Do our computer pundits lack all common sense? The truth is, no online database will replace our daily newspapers. No CD-ROM can take the place of a competent teacher. And no computer network will change the way government works. Oh, man. He goes on to say, quote, try reading a book from a disc. At best, it's an unpleasant chore. The myopic glow of a clunky computer replacing the pages of a friendly book. You can't tote that laptop to the beach. Oh, man, this person sounds like a real bummer. He reminds me of that one of your Facebook friends. You know, the one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Where everything old is better than anything new. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He goes on to say. Yet, the director of the MIT Media Lab predicts that we'll soon be buying books and newspapers straight from the internet. His comment is, uh, sure. Yeah, probably that MIT guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> well, Clifford Stoll, again, he's not a dumb guy. He's a genius. Sounds pretty dumb. Very eccentric. You know, what I don't like is the tone with which this is written. Yeah. You know, I have a hard time with that. People who predict things but state it as fact, like, I hate that. Yeah, right. And I don't know why, particularly. It's just so arrogant and condescending. <laughs> and, like, you don't know. Like, when people are, even when it's something stupid, like about sports. And they're right. like, my team's going to beat your team, blah, 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 blah. And you're not even going to, I'm smashing your face. And 
Yeah. You don't know that. Right. And, and you're not on the team. So let's try <laughs> taking it down a notch. Clifford Stoll also reflects on how long it takes to get the information you're looking for on the internet, pointing to how he's often interrupted with messages like, quote, too many connections, try again later. Well, yes, during 1995 and the dial-up error, that was an issue. But come on, Clifford Stoll, you're an eccentric genius. Certainly you had the foresight of broadband. So Clifford Stoll imagined that the internet would forever be like the internet in 1994 or whatever? I think he thought that in order for it to get to the next phase, more people would have to use it, and those people would not use it because it's clunky. Okay, I'm sorry, but if you've met my generation who gladly sat in a darkened room illuminated only by a computer monitor, typing in the most awkward chat rooms, speaking with smarter child, searching for things without search engines right like we would do it anything to be on the internet I oh i'm sorry anything to be on internet on internet my grandfather he was a techie he always had the newest and latest tech and he had the internet in like 1995 mm-hmm. and of course search engines were in their infancy at that point and he said yeah i was uh, looking for a recipe for molasses cookies don't type in brownsugar.com. <laughs> oh, Papa. I'll, I miss him. Anyway, that article didn't age too well, Mm-mm. but I'm glad we can still read it online. It's still there. It's also interesting to note that the magazine that Clifford Stoll wrote the article for, Newsweek, <laughs> ceased printing the publication several, several years later and is now exclusively available online. Oh, weird. Internet expert John Allen speaking with the Canadian television network, the CBC, uh, way back in 1993, was talking about the concern that people would become less civil or less polite on the Internet. He was talking about the civility and politeness of people on the Internet. He said he believed that our internal morals and sense of values would hold us back from saying and doing terrible things to each other over this new information superhighway. Again, that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. I think most people would agree that uh, cyberbullying is a big problem. The things people do and say behind the anonymity of a computer screen or a device has become much, much worse. In fact... I came across this study that was done in Australia just in March of this year. It shows that 76% of all women on the planet who have internet under the age of 30 have experienced harassment or abuse online. I think that number sounds small. It could very well be. If anything, social media has made many people just bigger assholes than they already were. Mm. In 1995, the web in its publicly available form, had been around for about five years. Robert Metcalf wrote in InfoWorld magazine that he didn't think it would last more than another year. In fact, he said he gave it 12 months of life expectancy. His exact words were, quote, I predict the Internet will soon go spectacularly supernova and in 1996 catastrophically collapse. He was, of course, very, very wrong. He was a pretty good sport about it, though. A couple of years later, he was a keynote speaker at uh, the 6th International World Wide Web Conference in 1997, where he he literally ate his words. He took a uh, copy of his column, and he blended it up with some water and, and drank it like a smoothie. Oh, that can't be healthy, but fun. 
Also in 1995, in an article for Wired magazine, Waring Partridge said the internet would never catch on because, quote, most things that succeed don't require retraining 250 million people. And that makes makes some sense. But I think maybe what he failed to consider was how motivated people can be when there's porn involved. <laughs> well, also, I mean, a lot of our major inventions in the world have absolutely expected people to be retrained. Yeah. Like, um, I'm sorry, no one knew how to drive a car before yeah. cars. True. That's that's very it's true. Just you want to do something, so you figure it out. We'll figure it out. My other grandfather. This is a grandfather episode. My other grandfather was born in the year 1900. And he remembers when he saw his first automobile. And he said he he was standing on the side of the road and the guy was having trouble controlling this newfangled auto, as Mm -hmm. they called it. And he was trying to get it to stop and he kept yelling, whoa, whoa. (laughs) See? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. But I bet he didn't not drive. In another 1995 article, this time uh, the AP, an interview with Brian Carpenter, an industry leader at the time, he said that one of the big problems of the Internet is they didn't make expiration dates compulsory. Quote, any information can just be left and forgotten. It could stay on the network until it's five years out of date. (laughs) My guess is he wishes probably there was an expiration on that particular quote. Now, also in my research, I found a list of early internet hacks on demilked.com that were designed to make using the early internet easier and more user-friendly. Here's a few of them, and I'm sure that most of us will remember using some of these helpful tips. For example, if you want to download a song, start downloading before bedtime. It should be at least 99% downloaded by the time you wake up. Yeah, that seems right. You remember that? Yep. Number two, if your mouse is lagging, take the ball out of the bottom of it and clean it. It's probably just dusty. When was the last time you saw a mouse with a ball in it? It's been a while. Here's a helpful tip. If you're going on a road trip, use sites like MapQuest to print out your directions. <gasps> MapQuest? Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of the last time I used a map, but there was a a chunk of my life that uh, was a very formative chunk, and it was a very short chunk, Mm -hmm. but it was an important chunk where my car was filled with MapQuest maps. (laughs) Like, I just had pages and pages of MapQuest maps because I wanted to go everywhere, and I didn't know how to use a regular map. (laughs) Sounds like a rolling fire hazard. Nor did I have to learn. Oh, the car was anyway. I didn't oh, need to all that paper inside. <laughs> it was a Ford Tempo, so. Uh, uh. Number four tip. When you're ripping or burning a CD, and I'm guessing probably when this article was released, it would have been a like the newest release from Sugar Ray. <laughs> um, make sure to close all the other programs to avoid a buffer overrun. Sure. Yep. Number five, the next time you're shopping at, say, I don't know, Comp USA, um, grab some of those free AOL floppy disks at the checkout stand, put a piece of tape over the lock hole and reformat it. Free memory storage. Oh, wow. Yep. What an idea. And finally, add extra information or pad out your file so that it's uh, over 1.5 megabytes. That way, the file's too big for anybody to steal it on a floppy disk. 
I don't understand even one of uh, anything that that you just said. I don't understand any of it. It just points out that uh, the storage space on one of those floppy disks was next to nothing. Oh, I see. Okay, I get it. So now that you have all this information, you can feel confident going forth into the wild frontier of the information superhighway, which is what they tried to make us call it, if you remember. (laughs) It was Internet, the World Wide Web, but Information Superhighway was the one that all the corporate advertisers latched onto. The next time you're surfing the Information Superhighway, reach for an ice-cold Crystal Pepsi. My source information came from Mental Floss, Newsweek, the CBC, Demilked.com, InfoWorld, New Statesman, and the Associated Press. Oh, and Wired. Yeah, there you go. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, If you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's 
A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code oddities at checkout and you will save. Thanks Aura Frames for bringing my family a little bit closer. And now, that thing in the middle. Mohammed Ali Pasha was the Albanian Ottoman governor and the de facto ruler of Egypt from 1805 to 1848. At the height of his rule, he controlled all of Egypt and Sudan. In the early 1800s, he ordered the pyramids to be disassembled and their blocks to be used to build dams on the Nile. The chief architect personally opposed it, but knew he'd be replaced if he defied orders. So he prepared a false cost analysis showing that freshly quarried stone would cost less and in the process, save the pyramids. Matthew sent us an email, curator at theboxofoddities.com and uh, he said, Hey there, my friends that don't really know that they're my friends. (laughs) I'm listening to Box 440 Cats talking about weird mascots. This was a big topic. I mean, a lot of people chimed in on this. She came to the Wichita wind surge and it then became a boo effect because I make all of the cakes for the sweet holders birthday parties. (gasps) It's a small boo effect, but one nonetheless. So cool. Anywho, you're all amazing cat. Your TikToks are truly a bright spot in my day. JJ, you're pretty cool too. Um, please send us pictures of your cakes. I am so impressed by people who can cake well. <laughs> My cakes end up looking like piles, but um, they're still tasty. It's like that show, Is It Cake? If you were on it, people would immediately know. No, that's not a cake. And it would it, be a cake. It doesn't even look like cake. They would be confused yeah. about the point of the show. Mm. Rebecca messaged us on Instagram The fact that you used the fifth element as your Luke Perry reference, (laughs) unimpressed emoji, instead of 90210 or eight seconds, LOL, LOL. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, um, I am a fifth element stan like forever. Forever. I love fifth element. It's never not one of the best movies ever. We got several messages regarding this. Um, I'm sure you've got nine million emails about this. Oh, yes. the pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But uh, I was listening to Box 443 when another listener brought up the mascot for the Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, where I grew up. The mascot is, and we said geoduck. He said it's pronounced gooey duck. That's not how it looks. Cat came up with a very creative definition for geoduck and gets an A for effort. Thank you. But I think you two will enjoy what it really is even more. I love the song Gooey by Glass Animals. The mascot is a giant, very phallic-looking clam. You really need to Google this because I can't attach a pick here. Trust me, you'll shoot beer out of your nose holes over this one. Okay, I'm always into self-inflicted nasal fermentation. Oh, okay, so the gooey duck is a very large saltwater clam. Where the hell did I get the geode thing from? I don't know, out of your interesting little brain. (laughs) That is very phallic-looking. Look at it. Oh, my God. <laughs> if I had beer, it'd be coming out my nose hole right now. <laughs> we got a tweet from Teresa or Teresa. Not sure. Sorry. It's hard to. 
We got a tweet from Tess. <laughs> Holy crap, people. Box of Oddities has spawned a winner. I don't know if the Shallow End podcast has a Twitter yet, but the first few episodes are available on your pod chaser. It's very funny stuff. Mm. And so, of course, I shared the Twitter handle uh, so that you can uh, find us on Twitter as well. Thank you so much for checking out the shallow end it's a new baby and uh we need all the support we can get it's a cute little baby that we're, we're trying to grow into a healthy toddler and we need your help otherwise it's going to starve and die oh that's a very manipulative way of putting it thank you abby wrote us hello freaky leaders i was so excited to hear you mention fairhaven massachusetts in a recent episode i teach at fairhaven high school often referred to as the castle my classroom is the original library from 1906 and still has a fireplace. Amazing. Although they boarded it up years ago. Rumor has it, a bird flew down the chimney in the middle of class once. Anywho, the average length of Box of Oddities lines up perfectly with my commute, so that I usually listen to that thing in the middle in the staff parking lot. I gather my courage to wade into the raging tide of teenage hormones and then unwind on my commute on the way home by finishing up the episode. Thanks for what you do, Abby. Fairhaven is a beautiful uh, town. Sure is. I've never been. I'm just trying to be supportive. I used to visit my, my aunt and my uncle in Fairhaven when I was a kid, and the big thing we would do is go to Dartmouth, and uh, go to Lincoln Park, oh. which was a really cool, old-fashioned amusement park. I think the name of the roller coaster was uh, the Cyclone, and it went off the tracks, and that was kind of the end of the Lincoln Park. Yeah. And I know they've demoed it by now, but it wasn't too long ago that you could walk by and you could still see the car hanging off the tracks. Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, they tried so hard and they got so far that in the end, it just didn't even matter. No. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We were watching you during that story that Jethro just told. We saw what you were doing. Damn, you turn us on. This is The Box of Oddities. All right, what you got for me? 
Today we're talking about Shirley Chisholm. Oh, yes. Shirley was born Shirley St. Hill to working class Caribbean immigrants. Her father, Charles St. Hill, was a factory laborer in Guyana, while her mother, Ruby Sealstain, Ruby Sealstain, what the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> Ruby Seal St. Hill was a seamstress from Barbados. She attended public schools in Brooklyn. Growing up in an underserved and poor community, she saw black people moving in in droves, but they were still so heavily segregated. She was accepted into Vassar and Oberlin Colleges but opted for Brooklyn College on a scholarship and graduated cum laude in 1946 with a degree in sociology. She excelled in debate. She advocated for an African-American history curriculum and for more women to be student government leaders. Her professors urged her to get involved in politics, but knowing the environment that she was graduating into, she focused on becoming a teacher. As she faced a double handicap, her words, as both black and female. She went into a job as a nursery school teacher before she worked her way up to becoming the director of the Hamilton Madison Child Care Center. In 1949, she married Conrad Chisholm. That's when she became Shirley Chisholm. They ended up divorcing in 1977, but she kept the name. She earned a master's degree from Columbia University in early childhood education in 1951. In 1953, she campaigned for Lewis Flagg Jr. to become Brooklyn's first black judge. You see, all of these accomplishments for anybody at any time amazing. are amazing. Right. But for a black woman during those times, mm. the odds were definitely against her. It gets wilder. Chisholm then earned a master's degree in early childhood education from Columbia University. But she was unable to stifle her concerns and her voice regarding racial and gender inequality. So she joined local chapters of the League of Women Voters, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the Urban League, as well as the Democratic Party Club in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn. She served as an educational consultant for New York City's Division of Daycare from 1959 to 1964. She was outspoken and progressive, and Chisholm wrote, It is a beautiful fraud that has been impressed on the people for years, whose practitioners exchanged gilded promises for the most valuable thing their victims own, their votes. Wow. 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 She felt like a lot of promises were being made, especially to underserved communities, but things were not actually being done. So she decided to start getting it done. In 1964, Chisholm ran for and became the second African-American in the New York state legislature. She served in that role from 1965 to 1968, and her major achievements included granting domestic workers unemployment benefits and a program that gave underprivileged students the opportunity to attend college while taking remedial education classes. She started to see what she could do and how she could change the world around her and how much more needed to be done. So Chisholm sought a seat in New York's 12th Congressional District, using the motto, unbought and unbossed. <laughs> in 1968, she became the first black woman elected to Congress. Wow. Wow, wow. I wrote this and I still get goosebumps. <laughs> there, 
She introduced more than 50 pieces of legislation and championed racial and gender equality, the plight of the poor, ending the Vietnam War, and was a co-founder of the National Women's Political Caucus in 1971. And she was included in the House Agriculture Committee. Never one to stay quiet, when she was appointed to the Committee on Agriculture, Shirley Chisholm publicly voiced her dissatisfaction. So she was moved to the Veterans Affairs Committee. In response, she quipped, there are a lot more veterans in my district than trees. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. Well, Brooklyn Stye. Yeah. <laughs> the Education and Labor Committee she was added to, and later in 1977, she became the first black woman and second woman ever to serve on the House Rules Committee. She also got remarried that year, but she opted not to take the name this time. Well done. Robert Gottlieb was hired as an intern in Chisholm's congressional office. He referenced her slogan, unbought and unbossed, and said she really was unbossed. She was unafraid of anybody. And I imagine that that is what allowed the next phase in her career. Chisholm said she was an explorer and a trailblazer rather than a legislative artisan. And for that reason, she ran for president. Yeah, I I vaguely remember this. What do you remember? Well, just that she was running for president. And that it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Yeah. It was what, about 1972, maybe? 72. You're a freak. (laughs) In January of 1972, Shirley Chisholm declared her candidacy for the U.S. presidency. She funded her own campaign, which included travel across the U.S., to get on the ballot in 12 states and to get into the Democratic Convention with her $300,000 school teacher savings. Wow. I mean, this is grassroots business. This makes her the first African-American woman to run on a major party platform for the country's highest office. And with that, she faced the highest obstacles and the most discrimination. Chisholm was actually blocked from participating in televised primary debates. And after having to take legal action to be included, she was permitted to make just one speech. Chisholm pushed a platform focused on racial and gender equality, which is probably one of the reasons why people didn't want her voice out there, Mm. elevating those issues to a national stage. Having a woman run for president was like having someone from Mars run for president. According to Gottlieb, people were not comfortable with having a black woman. And she said often, between being black and being a woman, the biggest problem was being a woman. Chisholm entered 12 primaries and garnered 152 of the delegates' votes. That's 10% of the total. Despite racial and gender discrimination and a wildly underfinanced campaign. After her loss, Shirley Chisholm continued to serve in Congress until 1983. In the meantime, though, in 1974, one of Chisholm's most important pieces of legislation, the minimum wage law, passed through Congress. That bill expanded minimum wage standards to apply to domestic workers as well as to more state and local government employees. What a remarkable life she led and fearlessly. And you know that probably it wasn't fearlessly. It was with bravery. Well, yeah. Exactly. Bravery is not the lack of fear. It's feeling that fear and doing it anyway. And that's what this badass did. Chisholm said that I am a national figure because I was the first person in 192 years to be at once a congressman, black and a woman proves, I think, that our society is not yet either just or free. 
After Chisholm retired from Congress, she was appointed chair at Mount Holyoke College in Massachusetts. In 1984, she and C. Dolores Tucker co-founded the National Congress of Black Women. And in 1990, she co-founded African-American Women for Reproductive Freedom. Later, she was tapped by Bill Clinton to serve as ambassador to Jamaica. And in 1993, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. I want to be remembered as a woman who dared to be a catalyst of change. Chisholm said that was the legacy she wished to leave. Fighting Shirley Chisholm died in 2005. In 2015, Chisholm was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Barack Obama in a White House ceremony. And the previous year, in 2014, the U.S. Postal Service issued a forever stamp in her honor, uh, which I think is appropriate because I stan Shirley Chisholm forever. I get my information from Smithsonian, All That's Interesting, Medium, Women's History, and History.com. A life well lived. And at that time in our history, when she became politically active, the Civil Rights Bill hadn't even been passed and, and wouldn't be for years. It's incredible. Thanks for those of you that have jumped over to the shallow end with Schneebly and Toth to check us out, uh, check out the new podcast. We're very excited about it. It's, uh, it's always scary when you're putting stuff out there, but I figure if Shirley Chisholm can run for Congress as a black woman in the 60s, I should not be afraid to put out a new podcast. That's a weird comparison, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, she's inspiring in a lot of ways, I guess. Check it out. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes if you would like to uh, experience the shallow end uh, for yourself. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. I have to recheck how to pronounce this. Hold on. Oh, geez. It's that weird wiener clam again. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts and its name tells part of the story the big picture questions, and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well... I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.